In this episode, Studio Visit with Jody McDonald in Queens, New York. This is Infinite Spaghetti, a guided tour of the cosplay and creative archives with your host, Ethan Minsker. Part of the Project Nerd Podcast Network. My name is Jody McDonald and I'm a visual artist in Long Island City, New York. I work with textile-based figures set inside mixed media dioramas. And this is my pop-up show. For a long while, I've been preoccupied with identity in my work. And one of the aspects of identity is that it is fluid. It can be hard to kind of pinpoint that genuine or real or true identity because there's so many external factors that are attacking it from the outside. Now, what I've done, what I've come to after making these figures for about 20 years is a series that is based on the characters that you might find in a traditional carnival sideshow. Those archetypes like the bearded lady, the dog-faced boy, the conjoined twins. This series that you'll see today in this pop-up show was mostly created for a grant that I received in 2019 from the Queen's Council on the Arts. The first one that I made in this series and Lion Faced Man. This piece started out as a very traditional diorama for me. So it's set against the wall. There really is mainly one point of view to look at it. It's, it's rectangular and it has like these elements that are a little bit like a, an exploded diagram or a stage set. With these figures, what ends up happening is that they are emerging of art history, contemporary culture, popular culture, politics, socio-political. It's all kind of like mixed in there, all of the details. With this one, I've appropriated the image of Manet's bar at the Folie Bergère in the background. It's a well-known painting of Manet's where there is a barmaid who is the central character, which is actually taken over by the lion-faced man. It's, it's kind of hard to tell what the painting is, whether it's a mirror image or not of the painting. So I'm playing with that whole thing. Is like, is this a print on the wall behind the character? Or is this just a copy of that famous painting on the wall? One of the things that I was considering when I was making this series is casting the carnival characters in situations that would not be the regular sideshow, so it would be more like an everyday life. In putting them in different scenarios, are they comfortable with their differentness, with their otherness, or would they, do they want to fit in more? To me, this character really did not want to stand out or be perceived as different. He wanted to fit in, so he, you know, he's got his mane tied up in a man bun and he's wearing his skinny jeans with his suspenders and he's working in a, you know, a kombucha bar in Brooklyn. As we can see that it's, the, the brand is real. And I riff on this idea of realness a lot across the series. In this series, it's an overarching corporation that pops up. So they make kombucha, they make sporting equipment, they make celebrity pulp magazines, toilet paper products. They do, they do all of that. So, that's just this idea of playing on like real TM, kind of like 100% real beef <laughs> TM. The drawings that you'll see in this show are the working sketches that I had when I was trying to work through ideas, work through sizing. And this one is, is quite explanatory because I also used this piece as an example to apply for the grant. So I really kind of broke it down in, in terms of like how the pieces were built 
and what they could expect from all of the other pieces that I was proposing as well. For the next piece, I'll take you to the conjoined twins. And this was actually the second piece that I made. This diorama is meant to be viewed in the round. You really need to kind of walk around the entire piece to get all of the details to piece the narrative of these two together. From the front, they look happy enough. They've got their arms around each other. They're looking at each other. Um, but as you move around, you'll start to see details that maybe give a bit more sinister backstory as to what's going on. Often with a piece, I'll have an idea of the character first and the characters will get made first and then I'll think about their setting and where they're going to go in. For this particular piece, I was very inspired by the musical number Sisters that is in Irving Berlin's White Christmas. And if you know that piece of music, it's a musical act, the Haynes Sisters, and the song describes how close they are, but it also has a few dark moments. You better be careful and leave my man alone, sort of thing. Like there's only one dress and you know, she gets to wear it and I'll stay home, but if you mess with my man, you're gonna be in trouble. So you'll notice that there are only singular things, like a single set of lingerie and a single dress a single pair of hose. Again, you'll see if you look closely at the IKEA-esque packaging on, on their tools that they've gotten, it is from real. It's the real corporation. Mostly everything is handmade, so there's a few things. The miniature clothes pegs, those I bought. If I see something that is to scale for the scale that I'm using, I'll buy it and it will get incorporated, but mostly I'm, I'm making everything. So all the wigs, all the shoes, all of like the hangers that you see, everything is, is like manufactured by me. This is the dog-faced boy, and if you know your art history, you might recognize the painted backdrop is an appropriated and manipulated copy of David Hockney's portrait of Nick Wilder. So what I've done is I've taken that painting and I've removed Nick Wilder. I've split the painting down the middle and just mirrored it. So it has this, very nice mid-century modern Palm Springs, California vibe. That painting was from 1966 and it informed the, the time period for everything else involved in the diorama. So the vintage Speedo, the magazines that I've used are real magazine covers. Real was like life, the magazine life became real but I used their actual magazine covers and just inserted his photo in there. And you can see all of these magazines, like, he's on them, so he's, he's a big deal. <laughs> the magazines are also um, making plays on words, so I've got the us and the them. Them, of course, was Time. That was a Woody Allen cover. The one that he's holding is actually Robert Redford, who had been cast in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Thank you, yes, that's what it was. So that, that was when Robert Redford was cast in that, so it's as if he was cast in that. So you can kind of get the sense that this, that this character is kind of a big deal and he's famous and he's got this like nice big home in this pool. But when you really start to look, you can see that the concrete around the pool is starting to lift up and there's grass that's growing up in between the concrete. How old necessarily are these magazines and you know, really, really what's kind of like going on in here. And is he confident, like he comes across, or is he, does he have extremely bad self-confidence, low self-confidence? 
And just a note about some of the materials that I'm using. As in many of the dioramas, I'm using materials that are temporary, just to give a nod to that temporary history of a sideshow, a traveling sideshow that would be put up and then taken down. So the pool tiles, if you look really carefully, they're actually just 3M painter's tape standing in for the pool tiles. Play between materials and what something is made of and what it's masquerading of. So Monkey Girl sideshow banner, or the poster behind her, is an appropriated version of a famous poster. Chelsea Galleries were having, one was having a Warhol show, one was having a Basquiat show, and they market it as sort of this like boxing match between the two artists. And they had show posters that had the gallery name at the front, you know, at the top, presenting, and one of them, one of the posters would have Basquiat dressed as a boxer, and the other one would have Warhol, and sometimes they would have both of them in the poster as well. So they've been removed, and Monkey Girl has taken her place and stepped in the ring. Her references are the Gorilla Girls, which I believe around the same time, if I'm remembering my art history correctly, were doing quite a bit of activism around the low numbers of women and artists of color in major museums. So she's there, she's ready to take her rightful place in the art ring. The spelling of girl is a reference to punk rock feminist band Riot Girl, And also that informs Monkey Girl's clothing with her fishnets and her combat boots. Here again, you'll see real, which I have actually co-opted actual IKEA handles off of their bags and cut them up and re-sewn them together and then changed the K's and R's. And one thing you'll notice about all of the characters is that their identities are put on. So like they're, you know, they're wearing a mask or they're wearing strap-ons or they're wearing, you know, it's, it's not something that is necessarily fixed to their body or that they're born with. It's something maybe that, that they are embodying. So it's, it's ambiguous as to like what's real again and what's not real and what's put on. These buttons or these bubbles that you'll see that pop up in the drawings especially are kind of an artifact from the vintage sideshow posters, uh, banners, circus banners that I was kind of using. So let's go uh, look at the hermaphroditic goat. Is this piece here. Um, this was one of the later dioramas that I did. It really pushed the boundaries for me of what a diorama was and which was really exciting because then I started thinking about well how can I finish the rest of the dioramas that I have still outstanding you know push that push that boundary a little bit farther you know suddenly now I'm going like up into the strata the hermaphrodite sorry was was a very common feature in a sideshow most often they were played by a man and it was a total put on there, there was no hermaphrodism going on there at all. The freak animal attraction was also a large, a large part of it. So in this piece, I've combined those two attractions into the hermaphroditic goat. And as with all the pieces that are meant to be viewed in the round, the plinth became very important. I didn't want it to be just a regular old plinth that the pieces were standing on. They had to be incorporated into the piece. So this Greek, column that you see that is supporting her 
is unusual in the sense that the top of the column is on a slant. It's like it's sliding, it's shifting, it's tilting. When I was building it, I was thinking about how this concept of the ideal beauty, the Greek ideal, how that needs to shift or it is shifting. Then we've got the hermaphroditic goat on the inside and she's surrounded by these very ornate frames. It's very structured. It's like salon style. It's almost like she's kind of caught up in this institution. The institution is falling apart a little bit. So it's becoming unhinged and it's falling apart. And you might expect to see paintings inside these frames. They're actually just reflective surface. They're like a, a sideshow hall of mirrors. I call her a she because I'll tell you the story why. <laughs> she is a they. They are able to finally see themselves reflected in these institutions. So thinking about the other and making space for other types of beauty, accepting other types of beauty. And this piece here was actually inspired by, by this little one here. This is Gilly. She is an actual hermaphroditic goat living on a farm in London, Ontario, Canada. And I learned about Gilly many, many years before I started this series. I had a friend who knew that I liked unusual things and he sent me this photograph and the explanation that she was, he was, they were <laughs> a hermaphroditic goat. I thanked him very much and I took the photo and I filed it away in my file of research images and I knew I was gonna make a piece about her one day and this is it. <laughs> So this piece is titled The Clown. Immediately from the beginning, this character is going to be sinister. It's going to be bad news. I don't have a personal aversion to clowns, but I know that a lot of people do. There was something about him. He just needed to be a smarmy character. He ended up being in this, this very strange garden with the spiky grass that was filled with miniature Jeff Koons balloon animals 2D versions of those amid some balloon penises too, which are fun because some people notice them and some people don't. This piece in particular, I wanted to have some form of motion. I really wanted it to, to be activated somehow and that's where the turntable came in. And right now it rotates, complete rotation once every 60 seconds. If you think about this piece as potentially representing the art world, it's sort of like this rotating, it's this, it's this cycle that just kind of keeps rotating and rotating. So you'll also notice that in this piece there's a fence. In most of the pieces, there is a barrier. There is still a barrier. So there's this idea of cohesion or you know being accepted into society or a world that maybe they don't fit the parameters to, but there's also barriers. So there's like a fence, or there's a cage, or there's a bar top, or there's like a body of water. And some of it is like, are they being prevented from maybe wanting to fit in these characters, or are they keeping these fences in place to keep themselves a little bit separated? This is the bipolar bear. This is a, one of the works in progress. My process for these, because I was making structures to put the figures in, it starts with a drawing where I start to do, get all of the, the details and, and the sizes. And then I make a one-to-one mock-up out of foam core. 
and I start to play around with ideas of shapes of things, how the base is going to look, how the figure is going to set into that base, where I'm going to leave elements sort of unfinished because that's another big thing for me is I want to leave a little bit of it unfinished. So this one was a COVID piece. The, the drawing, which is in the other room I'll show you, the drawing and this one-to-one -one mock up in the figure were all created during the pandemic in the early days of the pandemic. So that one looks like you. They all are me. <laughs> this one really does. <laughs> is it the teeth? Come on, tell me. <laughs> So the, the mask in this one turns out to be like the medical mask. And as well, what will be in this one is a bunch, which I don't have them in here because I've got them in the other room, but in, in this back area, which is like open bleachers, and they'll be left open so I can tuck some things inside here. There'll be packages of miniature toilet paper. And, and one of the things I made when we were at, at home quarantine was miniature rolls of toilet paper and they're about a, an inch and a quarter by about an inch and I just made multiples of them. So they'll be packaged up, they'll, they'll end up being packaged up in cellophane that has like the real label so it'll, it'll make the label and then they'll be tucked in there and there may be a few more elements in here. What happens is as I'm creating because things take so long, I still collect information and I'm still sort of filtering through things. So there'll be actually probably more details that come in to this piece that will either be a, a bit of a time capsule to capture the time that it was built in or there'll be other references that are going on in there as well. This one also pops up in my 2D work. So the bipolar bear, I have a 2D piece that's from 2015. That is also the bipolar bear. Let's go on over to Pretty Girl Bird. Most of the work, even though it has my face, is not self-portraits. I really think of my work as being roles that I'm cast in that are then performed. So more along the lines of Cindy Sherman than doing a whole bunch of self-portraiture. But this one ended up being very self-referential. The title itself, Pretty Girl Bird, comes from when I was younger, I had a speech impediment and I could not pronounce my R's fully. And it wasn't going away on its own, so before I ended up getting speech therapy, my parents would love to like, kind of like, parade me out during social time and uh, have me perform. So they would be, they would throw a bunch of R words at me. They'd be like, say pretty, pretty, say pretty girl, pretty girl, say pretty girl bird. Pretty good, so it, you know, and they would laugh, and it was fun, and, and I thought I was having a great time. I was like, oh, I'm making them laugh, and, and then at some point when I got older, I was like, son of a, <laughs> you know, they weren't maybe laughing so much with me as at me, but you know, honestly, I think about it now, and I'm like, if I had kids, I'd probably do the same thing. So another reference for this piece is if you've ever watched the cult classic Freaks by Todd Browning, it's a 1932 film. This character references the antagonist, and at the same time that I was finishing this piece for a show, I came down with a really bizarre skin disease, Tyriasis rosea. It's apparently common, though I had never heard of it before now. 
I had a particularly intense version of it. So it was completely all over my, my body, covered me everywhere. And that storyline got folded into the newspapers as well as this whole story about Todd Browning's circus and what was going on in the circus that the trapeze artist had gone missing, but suddenly he has this spectacular new sideshow act. And, and then there's also Jackson Pollock is in there and Clement Greenberg. You know, the articles are purposely written to all sort of intersect. It's one of those details that the viewer can't possibly see it all, but they can see some of it and they can read some of it and they can get a little idea that things are connected. It's one of those things, it's like a little Easter egg. I do have like extra copies if people are super keen and they want to find out and they want to actually see, you know, do the reading of the articles. The tattoo lady, okay, so the tattoo lady, she was being created right at the end of 2016, 2017, that really informed where she was going to be, what she was going to look like, what her tattoos were going to say, because that was, of course, just as Trump got elected. People had a lot to say about that, especially women's groups. The tattoos on her front, with the exception of the ones that are on her torso, are ones that I researched and appropriated from a fairly famous tattooed lady from 1917-ish, and her name is La Belle Angora. There were only a few black and white photos, small black and white photos that I could see, and so I sort of like deduced from what I could tell what the tattoo might have been and just replicated that. And then I filled in with some of my own tattoos on the front that had to do with Me Too movement. Uh, Latin, that's on her chest. It says, God help us. And then there's some more Latin down on her brain area that says, my body, my choice. And then on the back, there were only one photo that showed her from about here up, showing flags and some very nationalistic things on her back. And so I kind of just went with that as an inspiration. So we've got, we've got Trump in here. We've got the Confederate flags. We've got his logo for his university. We have this. Nazi eagle that is like rising up like a phoenix. Right down in the sphincter, there's a little, the little swastika sphincter. And then on the butt cheeks, we've got the two Steves, Steve Bannon and Steve Mnuchin. And you know, they've kind of got their, their spirit animals, the snake and the rat. Down the legs, we can see we've got Hillary Clinton down here. We've got her logo on this side, great again. We've got the flag that is backwards. And the other, thing that was happening in popular culture at that time was that Carrie Fisher had just passed and I had been thinking about what am I what am I going to do with her hair and it seemed appropriate to just pay a little bit of an homage to Carrie Fisher's character of Princess Leia as Princess Leia was also sort of being resurrected as like a poster child for the Me Too movement on the marches sort of like one of the first strong female resistance fighters and the plinth if you look closely, it's referencing buildings, skyscrapers, but also this idea of a political podium with the stars and the stripes. If you look carefully, you can see that the stripes are melting. This is the escape artist. 
was very much inspired by Harry Houdini. You can see that, you know, I've kind of like made, made it to look a little bit like Harry Houdini with the hair. The jacket itself is actually the straight jacket. It is fashioned after one of his favorites. But I got a couple of, researched a couple of photos. There's also a lot of elements of bondage in these works. That's something that I've used in earlier series as well, this idea of physical, being bound physically represents a form of being bound mentally and emotionally. my internal um, reinforcement structures because I'll have objects that will be wire have wires sticking out and they'll have to be plugged right into this wood. Bases for the columns, the bases and the columns. And something I didn't mention in the uh, other tour, which I should have, is that all of these pieces tear down to a very small footprint and then pack up and I kind of like have some boxes uh, up on my shelf that's all of the work was packed. These will all kind of like come apart and get packed once they get created in panels. I like to hold things together with just a few screws. This is a figure who is in process. She hasn't been wired yet. She still is being held up by a doll stand. I like to use a whole variety of different materials. What are you making the nipples out of? <laughs> and they're, they're the rubber witch noses, the reports from rubber witch noses. So I'll buy a bunch of cheap rubber witch noses and then cut the warts out and those end up becoming nipples. And I've got, they're, they're everywhere. They're on like the hermaphroditic boat. They're on other pieces as well just because they look awesome. They are all sporting different types of fake beards that you would be able to. It's basically a fake beard shop and these are all the different types of beards that you can get. This video and podcast made and produced by Ethan Minsker. The music, Dahlia. Thank you, Jody McDonald, for being on Infinite Spaghetti. If you, the listening or viewing audience, want to check out some of her work, head on over to Instagram. That's talk, period, to, period, me, period, Jody. Thank you for watching Infinite Spaghetti. If you like the show, please share, comment, subscribe, rate, review. Shows like this only exist with the constant support of its viewing audience. For great cosplay content and amazing podcasts, head over to projectnerd.com. That's project-nerd.com.